0: At the Cryptid Keeper podcast, we love to laugh at the darkness, but we would never laugh at the rich cultures that explore it, or the unique cultural significance of the creatures explored. The jokes within are on no one but us. We encourage additional research on the subjects covered here, and hope that a comedy podcast is not your primary source of information. Cryptid Keeper Podcast, the podcast for Cryptids and their Keepers. That's us, and if you're listening, it's you too. I'm Alex Flanagan. And I'm Addison Peacock. And we are broadcasting live from the United States of America in the midst of what, I don't know, may become a landmark episode in our podcast history. It's weird to think of things like that right now, but I'm kind of looking forward to to the moment several months from now where we're all looking back and we're like, huh. That's a weird sort of incidental record of a strange time in, in history. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, maybe one day when people teach teach children about the uh, COVID-19 outbreak, um, they will play this episode of The Cryptic Keeper. I don't mean that specifically. I'm more thinking like... Someday when the protagonist of this story, whoever that may be, <laughs> is like discovering old uh, old relics on Pinecast of what Earth <laughs> looked like in 2020, they'll stumble across this episode and they'll be like, a pandemic? What? Oh, so strange. And then piece together the clues from like bits and pieces of <laughs> podcast episodes. Yeah. Like in video games, when when nobody for some reason will just tell you what happened, you have to like go on a missed quest from, like, a dozen different scraps of journal paper that are hidden in the forest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or, like, um, I don't play a lot of video games, so my brain was just, like, my my closest reference was a game that came out, like, eight years ago. (laughs) Um, Amnesia, The Dark Descent, where you don't remember who you are and you have to find your own, or you have to find all these diary entries. Not to pull Um, back the curtain too much, but Addison... I don't play that many games. Peacock, just before we started this episode, was in fact telling me about all the video games she has bought in the last 24 hours. Okay, now, but that's but that's how you know that I've become feral and returned to the earth in my quarantine state, because I'm not normally someone who has who sits no, down and I swear lots I'm not usually games. a gamer. Don't <laughs> look at me like that. Also, I don't know if I would qualify Animal Crossing Pocket Camp. Sunless Sea and a bunch of dating Sims as being a gamer. <laughs> You're aware gamer. I'm aware. <laughs> I was like filling out one of those personality bingo cards recently. I won't say which one, but I was filling out a personality bingo card, and one of the boxes was gamer, which I did not mark. And then Andrew was dragging me for it later because he was like, "You literally run a game podcast. <laughs> like you play you play games every week. You write you write games." And I was like, but am I a real gamer? Am I a hashtag real gamer? Dang. I don't know. I don't think any of us, I don't think it's up to any of us to decide whether or not we are gamer. Who decides that then? A jury of your peers. Well, but how do I know what my peers are if I don't know if I'm a gamer? (laughs) Wait, I'm sorry. You think peer groups are decided by what games you play? (laughs) Yes, of course. (laughs) It may be in the new society after the cleansing. (laughs) (laughs) Alex, please. (laughs) When we emerge from all of this, social cast will be determined by what games you play. Honestly, I love that. Animal Crossing New Horizons is up at the top. I can't wait to surround myself only with people who play Stardew Valley. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that, that does sound literally like the dream. I guess I shouldn't call myself not a gamer when I have logged a cool 200 hours of Stardew Valley. I'm up to like... 30 hours in Kingdom Hearts 2, which is after the hours I logged completing Kingdom Hearts 1 and then watching Chain of Memories in 358 over two days, um, both of which are, for some reason, just short films (laughs) in the (laughs) Kingdom Hearts Enterprise. Anyway, we'll see how that goes. I'm hopeful that maybe in the next two, three, four weeks I can finish all of the Kingdom Hearts games, but that may be too ambitious. So this is, of course, our video game podcast. Yeah, hi, welcome... (laughs) Um, yeah. So things are weird and things, things are, are really allowed to weird be weird right now. And things are allowed to be weird. Um, we're not going to dwell on that weirdness here, but I just want to hold space for it mm-hmm. for a second and acknowledge it because I don't want to just go about blithely podcasting as if the world is not sort of on fire. As if yeah. nothing has happened and we're not just like all kind of in exile. Yeah. And, and every great sort of outbreak sci-fi movie or piece of media. I feel like uh, independent broadcasters are sort of ubiquitous with the voice of truth and reason in these trying times. And I certainly don't pretend that we are either of those things. No, But I also don't want to go on here without acknowledging the fact that there are some very real and very scary things happening. So with that, I wanted to bring something today that was not particularly frightening. This is not a super scary guy. But, you know, maybe we can shift our focus for the next 30 minutes and sort of dwell in happier lands. Yeah, I would like to do that very much, in fact. Yeah, so today's cryptid I do want to come with just a little bit of pre-discussion. And I picked this one, um, honestly, before things have sort of really ramped up in the past few days. So I was intending for this to sort of be its own discussion and not to be lumped into the midst of everything else that's happening. But um, before we get started, this cryptid is the Yukon Beaver Eater. Oh no! Yeah, so this is the Yukon beaver eater, also known as the, um, or the Setoichin. I I couldn't find a definitive pronunciation, and I apologize Mm. for that. Um, interesting thing about this cryptid is that it is one that does have literal physical sightings, like we do have encounter stories with this thing. Those encounters come primarily from indigenous peoples, and, um, So I just wanted to take a moment to say that, like, one of the interesting things about doing this podcast is that um, as time goes on, we get more and more sort of there become fewer and fewer options for creatures to explore. We have to get a little bit more creative in picking our topics. But also as time goes on, I feel like we learn a lot in the nature of doing this podcast. And there are definitely Mm -hmm. like some episodes that if we were to revisit them today, I would probably just not do in the first place. And I didn't want Mm -hmm. to let this opportunity slide without taking the chance to acknowledge somewhere on air that like, our understanding of the importance of certain cultural mythologies, while we have never tried to disparage them in any way, um, I think there's more of an understanding as time goes on of like what we should or shouldn't even talk about in the first place. Yes. And we're very broad with our description and we're very upfront about the fact that the things that we are discussing here, we don't even necessarily consider to be cryptids in the traditional sense. We are basically talking about anything that is a creature that comes from folklore, mythology or pseudoscience. So... I don't want to ever disparage something that serves a unique spiritual or significant purpose to a group of people by calling it a cryptid. And I know that that is touchy and very difficult for some people. I know that there is a whole wealth of cultural discussion about whether or not that's appropriate. That's not what I'm trying to do here today. But this one in particular, from what I can tell, does not occupy a place of cultural significance. It's just Mm -hmm. that because of where it's located and because of the history of the stories that we have, there is a cultural crossover, but it does not appear that this occupies a place of any like mythological import. So okay. if I am wrong on that, I apologize in advance and I want to make that known, <laughs> but I, I feel okay about doing this one because it seems like it is a literal physical thing that does exist and people just have sort of different interpretations of what it might be. Okay. Yeah. So that having been said, The Sitoichin, or Yukon beaver eater, is a cryptid reported from the Yukon in Canada described as a large, dangerous animal which has been likened to a giant ground sloth. (gasps) (laughs) Yeah, very fun boy. Kind of a goofy-looking guy. I do love it. If museums were currently open where I am, I would be seeing uh, at my place of business, my place of business, at my place of work, there is a (laughs) skeleton of a massive Harlan ground sloth. Um, and I, and I, I love looking at it and just thinking about how huge it is, particularly because a lot of the time when families arrive and they see this thing, they're like, what kind of dinosaur is that? And I get to go, it's a sloth. It's real big. (laughs) It's just a sloth. But, um, anyway, massive ground sloth. Yeah, the cryptid's wiki describes the Yukon beaver eater as a relatively unknown cryptid from the oral traditions of Canadian First Nations peoples. It is described as bigger than even the biggest grizzly bear and gets its name, obviously, from its diet. Supposedly, it catches beavers by flipping up their lodges and seizing the exposed animals. No! <laughs> so it just pops open the beaver dam. No! Just snatches the little guys as they scurry out. <laughs> and eats Alex, them. why are you laughing? <laughs> because it's funny. I mean, it's all funny to eat a bunch of beavers, but the idea of, like, this giant grizzly sloth, like, sort of just, like, popping one open and then snagging the stuff that scurries out, like, but it's not, like, bugs, it's beavers, is just, like, kind of breaking my brain a little bit. I I guess, but, like, I bet the beavers don't find it funny, Alex. No, I bet they don't, but that's why they have their own podcast, and I'm not trying to speak over them. (laughs) Do that? Okay, no, we're not gonna. Um, but also, Beavers, if you have a podcast, at me, let me know what it's called. I want to listen. Oh, they're um, never gonna let us on after this. I am not. I have not. I take no part in this. You were giggling. Only at you. <laughs> 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 it was nervous laughter. I was horrified. We'll have to update our pre-roll. <laughs> we're never laughing at the creatures of the cultures. We're only laughing at Alex. Okay, sorry. What else? It? So it just... Just lifts up the. T- no, <laughs> there is a possible alternate explanation to this, which is the only other reason I'm really laughing as hard as I am. But for now, this is this is where we're at. And this is why it's called a Yukon Beaver Eater. Um, when shown, <laughs> this is like such a weird sentence, but here it is. When shown a book of prehistoric animals. Um, the First Nations peoples chose a giant ground sloth as the closest look-alike to the beaver eater. So I don't know what sort of research this involved where they went into these communities that, like, this thing had been reported in, and they were like, all right, could you name it in a lineup? And then give them a book of prehistoric animals. I love the idea they just roll up to the town and they're like, hey, um... Whip off their sunglasses, pull out their picture book. Yeah, literally, it's not like they, <laughs> like, what... <laughs> Now did it look like this? I'm so you said line up and I'm imagining it more as like when you go in for an eye test and they're like this one or this one. <laughs> okay, now this one or this one. I'm just uh, picturing like the men in black like in suits and ties and sunglasses like rolling up stony faced with like a children's pop-up book and like flipping open the pages one by one and the little cardboard animals like pop up and maybe you could like pull a tab and the little like uh like the little tongue goes back and forth. <laughs> A truly delightful scene. So it's, yeah, so they picked the, uh, now which kind of ground sloth did they pick? I wasn't there, uh, but giant ground sloth. The Harlan's ground sloth? I I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't specify. (laughs) This is the part where I've tried (laughs) to- the cryptids wiki is hiding information they're withholding this is is the part where i try to flex my ground sloth knowledge as if i know anything about it other than working next to a giant ground sloth. (laughs) yes we know you work in a museum thank you for your contribution (laughs) not right now i don't Um, well fair we know you are museum adjacent thank you i'm basically an archaeologist (laughs) (laughs) Something like that. Um, So the information on this thing is actually a bit scant when you... There are sightings, but you tend to come back around to the same very small handful of them time and time again. So the most prevalent one in the field, as it were, is from Dawn Charlie, D-A-W-N Charlie, A Canadian First Nation member who contacted the British Columbia Scientific Cryptozoology Club in 1989 with a sighting. A hero. BCSCC co-founder Paul LeBlond interviewed her. And in 1990, this account was published in issue number four of the book's magazine. Sorry, I didn't really want to spell out BCSCCs again, but I guess I just did. No, I respect it. Anyway, here's the sighting. The latest report was from Violet Johnny, my husband's sister, who was fishing with her husband and her mother at the head of Tachin Lake four or five years ago. An animal came out of the woods, eight or nine feet high, bigger than a grizzly bear. It was a Setochin and it was coming towards them. They panicked, fired a few shots over its head, and finally managed to get the motor going and took off. There are other reports. There is also a report that a white man shot one in a small lake in that area. Beaver eaters are supposed to live in the mountainous area east of Frenchman Lake. So there you have it. Um, Somebody, a group of people who sighted one, another person who supposedly shot one. Oh. Mm Mm-hmm. I, please. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I know, a lot of information. So, um, Cryptid's wiki goes on with some explanations and theories, um, sort of ruminating on the possibility of the giant ground sloth. Well. If giant ground sloth was identified as the beaver eater, if they are one and the same, if we are looking at a vintage weirdo situation here, uh, giant ground sloths were herbivores, and all five genera that are currently known to have lived in North America went extinct. So there is speculation that a giant ground sloth could have survived there by adapting into what we now know as the beaver eater. A possibility. Other explanations would be an unusually large grizzly bear, which... You know, it's not totally out of the question. Mm-hmm. When you say something is larger even than the largest grizzly, and it's like eight feet. Like, okay, a, a grizzly bear could conceivably get that big, I think. Um, or, I, I I believe that. Yeah. Or it could be a surviving short-faced bear, Arctodus semis. Or, strangely enough, it could be a giant beaver. Oh my god, no. It's a beaver-eat-beaver beaver world out there. No, god, no, Alex, No. <laughs> Turning on his own kind. They know what they did. No. (laughs) He uses his disproportionate size. He uses his massive size to take advantage of his fellow beaver. And why does Satoychin, the biggest beaver, not simply (laughs) eat the other? He do. (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, no, that's so upsetting because I just... The equivalent of that, Alex, the equivalent of that... The equivalent of that is capitalism. Oh, I was just about to say it's like Attack on Titan, but yeah, you're right. <laughs> it's, it's capitalism. Like a massive humanoid mm-hmm. stomping up to an apartment complex, ripping it out of the ground, and then just like tossing humans <laughs> into its mouth. Oh my God. Just like tipping an apartment complex back, waiting to see who scurries out of the pool. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's the same. Yikes on bikes. These are the same. <laughs> these, what's different between these two images? They're the same picture. They're the same picture. Uh, interestingly, there apparently was a species of giant ground sloth, which was Megalonyx Jeffersoni that was native to the Yukon area in particular, though it is believed to have been an herbivore and thought to have gone extinct along with the rest of the North American megafauna. Times change. Times do in fact change. People change. A paper published in 1996 by the Universidad de la República in Montevideo, Uruguay, suggests that at least some giant ground sloths may have been omnivores. Uh-oh. Dr. Richard Farinha and Dr. Ernesto Blanco propose that Megatherium could have scavenged meat, taken kills made by large carnivores, or even been an active hunter using its long front claws and great strength no. to overturn glyptodonts, which were giant extinct armadillos. No, maybe the beaver eater thinks that the beaver lodges are armadillos and so he tips then them over. Then why are they? Then then why are then? What do they think an armadillo looks like when multiple small animals run out from underneath? I don't know. Maybe things hid under giant armadillos. I'm trying to think about the logistics of that and I'm not sure. If this is a giant ground sloth, he's got to be pretty old, right? He's either got to be pretty old (sighs) or he's got to have heard like just oral history from his progenitors about what being a giant ground sloth is. So either it's a very, very old ground sloth that doesn't see as well as he used to and doesn't really remember what giant armadillos look like. Or. Or it's a Zoomer giant ground sloth, which just sort of only knows what it's supposed to eat through, like, weird stories from its grandpa. <laughs> oh, no. Well, if now that I know it's a Generation Z one, I feel bad for it, because it's coming into a world full of existential dread and, like, climate crisis and... Honestly, like, do what you got to do to get through the day. Yeah, seriously. Nobody's going to judge you if you snag a few beavers here and there. I mean, Alex, <laughs> do the beavers not also have a right to live uninterrupted, undisturbed, uneaten? I mean, we're getting into really dangerous territory here if we start Okay, fair. deciding. Because if we start deciding that all prey animals have a right to life, then we are essentially condemning to death certain carnivores and so then we have to start making that decision and i don't feel comfortable (sighs) delegating life and death judgments in the animal kingdom okay i mean yes also you did just win me back over by reminding me that i i I would never want to do anything to hurt a tiger yeah so so check yourself consider me checked before i got wrecked The implication that some of that, like an herb, an herbivorous, or herb, yeah, an herbivorous—I can't talk—the uh, animal that is an herbivore, haha—might um, mm-hmm. begin eating meat not just as a scavenger but as an active hunter in order to survive—is is very troubling, but also makes a great deal of sense. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, this is my one moment to flex my museum knowledge. I'm sorry, whatever, whatever, whatever. In the Ice Age, we had obviously, like, saber-toothed cats, and we had the um, uh, the American lion, uh-huh. which was also another big cat at the time, and then we also had what is basically now uh, mountain lions and what is basically now bobcats. Those two animals are still around because they are not picky eaters. Like, they eat... Mm -hmm. They eat bones as well as just meat. They are not picky about what animals they hunt. They're like Mm -hmm. opportunistic hunters. Right, right, right. Uh, Saber-toothed cats and the American lion were a lot pickier in the things that they ate. And that's almost certainly why they did not survive. And and there's not just still American lions and saber-toothed cats running around. So it is completely within reason, if we're looking at animals from this era, that they would have to if they wanted to avoid extinction, essentially adapt their diets to something broader. Well, yeah, totally. And that's a really fascinating point because this um, this article goes on to basically sort of talk about the same thing. Not the bobcats. That's actually really fascinating and I didn't know that. That's super cool info. I know that because of my orientation when I watched a tour love that thanks um but anyway just the idea of like like a creature that we know from the historical record surviving by basically adapting to fit a different ecological niche and therefore becoming something like sort of unrecognizable in the process something that we wouldn't consider to necessarily be the same animal but is like fundamentally the same just not um and apparently here's kind of a troubling science fact but and again i don't I don't know if it's fact, this is from the cryptids wiki, but you don't think people would just lie on the internet, right? They're so, not allowed, actually. If you do, you can jail. <laughs> they're legally not allowed to lie on the internet. But this says that modern herbivores, such as hippos and deer, have been shown to sometimes eat carrion or bones to obtain necessary nutrients. So, mm-hmm. like, situationally, occasionally an animal, like, is in a scenario where, like, an opportunistic behavior becomes necessary Mm -hmm. um so even though those animals aren't hunting it might be that like if they're deficient in certain nutrients and like there are bones there that have them like they may they may feast (laughs) and if the beaver eater was like you know a sloth running around doing sloth stuff and suddenly all the very large plants that it ate were gone or dying because of the ice age and then it had to adapt to, like, plucking off small prey here and there, and now it's in the modern era, there's, like, not a giant thing for it to hunt, so it's just gotta gotta grab a whole bowl full of little ones. Oh my god. (laughs) Yeah, no, you're right. (laughs) Uh. Oh, I was just gonna say that it makes sense to me that hippos would eat bones, if only just because I already know how, like, violent those like they are and how like intense of an animal they are like they look cute and roly-poly but like they kill more people than sharks Mm -hmm. because they're just massively aggressive and massively territorial so i am not troubled by a hippo munching down on bones for some reason that holds up that makes sense after all they are Uh hungry hungry hippos but did you say deer yep (laughs) (laughs) oh oh no (laughs) <laughs> Between that and the fact that when deer have to like get the velvet off of their new antlers, it bleeds. <laughs> oh god. Imagine. Deer are actually straight up extremely frightening. Imagine a, seeing a deer, antlers s- slick with blood. Yeah right. <laughs> Gore around its mouth, just <laughs> crunching down on a bone, crunching on a bone. Have you ever like been up close and personal with a deer, like in not inside a car? <laughs> yeah, I have. It's like a really fascinating experience. I don't. I mean, like that seems like a weird thing to say. I don't know how to describe it. No, I it's one time fair. was going. Um, I one time was going for a run on some like woodland trails with bear, and it was really funny because. Um, I was just running. I had my headphones and I was like looking around me, but I didn't notice anything. And all of a sudden, Bear like stops, stock still. And, you know, that sort of gives me the impression that something is up. And so I stopped too. And I swear, like all of a sudden, where I did not see anything before, my eyes like adjust. And there are like 12 deer in front of me. Amazing like ten feet in front of me in the woods in various places, all like staring at my dog that looks very much like a wolf. And um it was just like one of the most breathless moments of my life. Like they're so beautiful and they're so strange. They are. Even that close to them, like, I know they're more scared of me than I am of them, but those things could kill me. <laughs> like, easily. They're so muscular and they're so like strange and fast and powerful like they're just beautiful animals but there's something so interesting about you know the raw destructive force that one of those things has like and you know it's one thing to be scared of deer when you're out like on the car driving at night because those things can wreck up your car super good but mm-hmm. like just to be up close to like a dozen of them at once and this weird sort of stock still tension of like if i move are they gonna bolt or are they gonna like what are they gonna do? You know, and they're like, what am I gonna do? And they're looking at me like, "What's up with your wolf?" <laughs> Sorry, I'm not laughing, but um, just uh, I've never been unco- I've never been afraid uh, encountering a deer, but I really do appreciate the fact that you were asking yourself, "What happens if these deer want to throw down right now?" <laughs> I think I was less worried about what if the deer want to fight me, and more about like, what if I move and they panic. And then I'm in, like, a stampede. Oh, no, fair. If they just freak out and bolt, and some of them were fairly young, like, what are their parents going to do? You know, what's what's going to happen? Ooh, what if bear, cool. like, freaks out and chases after that? You know, like... Oh, damn, yeah. Not to be all the duality of man right now or anything, but my most prominent memory of an in-person encounter with a deer Mm -hmm. is when I was a kid and I used to go to this wildlife preserve with my parents. Mm -hmm. And they had, like, the little, like, thing where you could put some quarters in and it would give you, like, corn. Yeah. And I would feed the deer corn out of my hand. Which is very nice. And I love it. I mean, it's very I'm not, like... I mean, here's the thing. I think you should be healthily afraid of everything in nature. Yes. That's the only way to safely go out in it is by understanding, like, you know, there are things out here that could kill me and I am not the most powerful thing currently in this situation. But I also need to be respectful Mm -hmm. of the very rightful fear that these things might have of me. Like, so it's a balance, Mm you know? Um, I'm not saying, like, (laughs) I'm afraid of deer and I'm never leaving my house again, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, no, I know. I know. I know. But it's, it's interesting. I'm, they're really fascinating creatures. This is, again, a bit of a tangent and I apologize, but um, the only time I've seen a moose up close was like Ugh, even sorry. more terrifying than that. I've never seen a moose in person. I only just recently found out how big they are. And now if I ever see a moose, all bets are off. Yeah. um, It's, it's one there. thing to understand academically how big a moose is. It is another to have one, like, on the road in front of your car as you are driving through northern Maine. (laughs) Oh my god. Yeah. Because if that moose decides, if that moose decides that it's done with you, if that moose decides that you're done for, you're done. If that moose decides it's not very fond of the Subaru that you are in, like, good luck. That's it for you. (laughs) Bye. Anyway, all of that to say that carnivorous deer is a terrifying image. (laughs) I feel like I've actually seen that image in something, like... Oh, you definitely have. Like it's. I've consumed too much horror media for me to, like, be able to distinguish where specific images have come from that are just I locked into my brain forever. But I, I definitely have a vivid memory of, like, a body in a forest. Like, not a real memory, a memory from, like, a piece mm-hmm. of media of, sure. like, a dead body and, like, deer eating it and like looking up at a person who's like come into the clearing and like the blood on like their little like pretty <sighs> We're little gonna have horse mouth. Put mouths. some weird content warnings on this episode. <laughs> I guess so. Um yeah, no, I I have like a shared image of what you're talking about. I don't know where it comes from, but did we just, did we like have the same nightmare together? Did we share? There's a podcast, which I unfortunately have not started yet, but I am aware of it. Thank you to everybody who asks me from time to time called Old Gods of Appalachia, which even without having listened to it already, I I highly recommend it. If you like this show and if you like um, Horror Borealis, I'm sure you would love that even more. It's not as goofy as we are here, but um, really, really cool lore and, and spooky, scary interesting like uh well well respectfully toned you know appalachian horror imagery um but apparently one of the f- central figures in the stories there is some sort of like folksy deer god that's kind of terrifying and i've seen a lot of really <laughs> cool artwork Ha-ha. and it's um it's really mind-blowingly awesome you know that gif of the deer taking off its hooves and then it has little <laughs> hands <laughs> it's I love that. Um, We've spent such little time in this episode talking about the the Yukon Beaver Eater, but... I'm sorry. Tell me more about it. No, it's totally fine. I want to hop over to mysteriousuniverse.org, not because the information there is any better or more prescient, but simply because it has one of the most powerful intros of all time, and I love that about Mysterious Universe. So here we go. I was going to say, they always know how to set the mood. Take me away. Exploring Canadian Monsters in the Yukon is the name of this article by Jason Offit as of June 14th, 2019. It begins thusly. The population of the Yukon Territory is 35,874, with an area of 482,443 square kilometers, that's 0.07 people per kilometer. Given that the Yukon has one major city, one Whitehorse with <laughs> a population of 25,085, that means there's a lot that goes on in the Yukon no one ever sees. Canada's westernmost territory is composed of spruce forests, arctic tundra, rivers, and mountains. Mount Logan is one of the highest mountains in North America at 5,949 meters, second only to Denali formerly Mount McKinley, in Alaska at 6,190 meters. The territory is bordered by the Northwest Territories, British Columbia, and Alaska. The Yukon is famous for the Klondike Gold Rush of the 1890s and the Yukon Quest Dog sled race that traverses 1,600 kilometers. It's also home to the Yukon Beaver Eater. (sighs) A large, hairy beast lurks along the waterways of the Yukon Territory, and it's not Bigfoot. Well, there is a large hairy beast that lurks along the waterways of the Yukon Territory and is Bigfoot, but this monster is the Cytogen, a creature the First Nations people claim is larger than a grizzly bear that feeds by destroying lodges and devouring the beavers within what dang i don't know what to do with the tone of any of this it's truly wild i don't know anyway that's really all the info on the situation that it has but i just really really loved that editorializing no it's good i'm, I'm not mad about it uh, cryptomundo.com has some more information on the yukon beaver eater uh-huh if you've not ever been to cryptomundo.com it's a pretty good resource which just suddenly decided to reload on my phone for no good reason oh no yep holding val put some elevator music here I guess that's forbidden knowledge that I can't have now. Oh no, is it literally not? It's just like not reloading. Hang on. Every day, we try to make this podcast and get the word out there. And every day, mysterious forces collaborate to shut us down. We do try to make it every day. It's weird that you all only get one episode a week, but that's about (laughs) our batting average. (laughs) (laughs) Every single day we record an episode. (laughs) And one out of seven of them is good. (laughs) That's generous. (laughs) One out of every seven is not so cursed that it cannot go to print. Prove me wrong, you can't. Big Sloth is out here trying to shut us down. Okay, well, um, it just won't let me see CryptoMundo. Oh um, no, I'm so sorry. Which is a whole thing. Anyway, um, we'll slip over to the cryptidarchives.fandom.com <clears throat> because there's another theory I want to talk to you about. Oh, damn. All right. Yeah. Um, dropping another theory on me 30 minutes in. Let's do it. Just getting on a, a few points about the possible biology of this, this situation. Um, I mentioned earlier that there was a story about a man who had shot a Saitochen in a small lake in the early 1990s. Yes. I have a little bit more detail on that. So here's an excerpt from that alleged story. Okay. The man shot at a giant sloth-like creature while it was swimming in a small lake. The man was in his boat fishing when he took sight of a large brown animal swimming towards his boat. Obviously, frightened of the large creature with long front claws, the man steadied his gun and fired. The creature, appearing to be hit, turned in the opposite direction and made its way back to shore on the other side of the lake where it disappeared into the trees. That we pretty much all heard so far, but here's an interesting thing. The man noted seeing a large, or what appeared to be longer than three feet, I would consider large, Mm -hmm. tail on the creature, a characteristic which a bear does not possess. No, it certainly does not. That discounts our giant grizzly theory. The image of the ground sloth, as they say, Turchin, is kind of an interesting thing because ground sloths did have long tails. So that's definitely a possible lead in that direction. But as we've noticed, there's not really a whole lot of other evidence linking those two animals, especially the fact they were supposed to be herbivorous. And the uh, theory we talked about earlier that they flipped over large armadillos is apparently not very well received by the paleontological community. So I apologize for a bit of a false lead there. But (laughs) here's an interesting thing, and this is an alternative theory that I kind of like a lot. One possibility is that if the Seitochin is a giant ground sloth, it might actually just be tearing apart beaver lodges to try to eat the branches, bark, and other vegetation of which the lodge itself is composed, and not actually to eat the beavers. Of course, if you saw a giant animal like attacking a beaver lodge, you would probably assume it wanted to eat the animals inside, which would be a reasonable assumption. But what if this thing is actually just ripping up beaver lodges so it can munch on the bark? He's not a, he's not a predator. He's just a literal home wrecker. <laughs> it might be. He's wrecking their home. That is definitely one, one school of thought wrecking their home and stealing their husbands. Oh, no. (laughs) I don't know. But I like that much better. I kind of love the idea of a giant vegetarian ground sloth just like sort of stumbling wildly into a beaver lodge and like (laughs) ripping it out of the ground and the beaver's freaking out and then it's just like sits down on the bank and starts munching on little little wood strips now i know how the witch and hansel and gretel felt do you (laughs) i mean yeah two strangers come start tearing your house apart and eating pieces of it that's exactly what these beavers are going through Okay, I was trying so hard to figure out what that connection was. (laughs) Um, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Did she not also have a house made out of stuff that another animal might perceive as food? You're right, she was the victim here. She was. And then those awful kids stuffed her in the oven at the end. Yeah. After all she tried to do was a little light cannibalism. She fed them. She gave them a place to stay. <laughs> oh <my laughs> Hello, gosh. I'm Addison, and I'm a staunch defender of the witch from Hansel and Gretel, apparently. So, wait, I'm sorry. Just to just to rewind a little bit. Mm-hmm. You're not okay with a giant ground sloth <laughs> eating little beavers. You're totally cool with a witch planning to eat children, human children. Those children... Children caused who knows how many dollars worth of damage to her home. Mm-hmm. They came to her house. They didn't ask permission to start eating her candy house. Mm-hmm. What? Oh, I'm sorry, Alex. Are you... What? Do you think that just because someone has a candy house, they should expect people to eat it? Uh, counterpoint. My defendants <laughs> here were uh, were very poor children who were actually pushed out of their home, owing to the perils of capitalism. And they were, in fact, simply reclaiming the hordes of food that the witch was so arrogantly displaying on her home, not even using for her own purposes. She wasn't using them as food, but she was using them for shelter. That was her house. But she didn't have to. She could have built her home out of anything and she chose instead to put on this lavish display of wealth while children in her neighborhood were starving. Dang. Okay, but then what did she do? She took those starving children in and she fed them, didn't she? With the intent to murder them, yes. Can you prove that? Can you prove it? Yes, I have witness statements. (laughs) From who? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I, um, when I was growing up, I actually think I still might have this book. Did you have to do the the trial of a fairy tale character? No, or? I didn't. But I have a book which was at one point given to my father as like a gag gift. Um, he was a practicing attorney for a while, and. It's this book that outlays in legal language the case of The Three Little Pigs oh, yes. versus the wolf. It's the, yeah, The Trial of the Big Bad Wolf. Uh, it was done as like a play for children to do at schools too. Yes, but this version is not like... No, yeah. I, this is like the <laughs> the grown-up version of that, which is like outlays, like lays out the entire thing. Not just saying like, this is the defendant and this is the like mm-hmm. citing cases and oh. like... <laughs> yeah, and all sorts of like legal precedents and... It's wild. I would like to make something very clear before anyone takes anything on this episode out of context. I do not endorse eating children. I bet if you clip that real good, you could make it sound like Addison (laughs) just said I endorse eating children. Please don't do that. I bet you could. I bet you could make it your ringtone. Hi, I'm Timmy Turner and I stole from my mom's first. I stole from my mom's (laughs) first. Oh my God. The um... sound of a generation. (laughs) So the beaver eater might not even eat beavers? It might not. I guess the point I was trying to make with uh, a truly unhinged tangent was that um, optics are everything, and once people have decided... To brand you a certain way, it's very difficult to escape that brand. It's really hard to break out of that, yeah. So maybe all uh, all our friend needs is just a good PR person. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah. I think that sounds like I think that sounds like a very noble cause. I think someone should take up the um someone should take up the job, the hard work of representing the Yukon Beaver Eater, and Stop maybe something to rehabilitate his image. I think maybe, I don't want to speak for him, but I think he could reclaim that. He could take it back. Yeah. (laughs) Did you have any, did you have more stuff for me? At this point, not really. (laughs) Okay. I mean, there are several other sources which continue to sort of cite the same evidence and the same discussions and go up on the same lines of thinking. Um, One thing I did find kind of delightful was I did happen to stumble across a Reddit thread on the um, Cryptozoology subreddit Love it. Which is somebody who has dedicated, like, who, someone who's dedicated this post and this thread to collecting all of the information that they can about the Setoichin. mm mm-hmm. And then if you, like, read through the whole thing, goes on to basically describe that it is their life's mission to someday go on expedition to find and prove the existence of the Setoichin specifically. And, like, in the comments, it's very fun because they're just, like... <clears throat> here's what I want to do, and here's my plan to, like, go to the Yukon and find this creature. And then somebody's like, oh, that's cool. Um, So if you find conclusive proof after your expedition, like, please post updates and tell us all about it. And the response is, unfortunately for us both, that won't be for a while because I'm only 15. (laughs) Wait. Oh my god, wait. That was a year ago, so I like to, I really hope that this 16-year-old cryptozoologist is out there somewhere. And I hope that everything that they are working towards and hoping for uh, continues to be extremely rewarding. Oh, wait, that's such a wonderful twist. I know, <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> and now they're 16, and hopefully they're in the Yukon. I hope so. Um, wherever you are, mysterious Satoichin subredditor, I hope that... You're staying safe out there. I hope that everything's going your way. I um I hope you're listening to this show and know that we support you in your dreams. Please follow your dreams. They're all we have in this world are our dreams. In these trying times. All we have are our dreams and each other. In all seriousness, like, community is really important right now. So, like, reach out to the people in your life that you love and let them know that you love them. Maybe don't travel to the Yukon, though. Maybe don't go to the Yukon right now. I mean, maybe <laughs> we, this like, is a bad time. A little. <laughs> maybe wait a little bit. Give it a couple months, maybe. Yeah. But then by all means do it and post pictures and updates. Chase your dreams. This is almost certainly not a real thing. I feel like this is like one of those fake facts that's just on Instagram and they just know that you're probably not gonna fact check it and so they're they're right and I never did. But like there's something about like oh my god, what was it? it was something about like sloths um how deadly a sloth would be if they could move if they moved faster. Run fast. <laughs> yes. Yes, if sloths could move fast, how dangerous they would be because they do have those you Picture one of those claws. coming towards you at twenty miles an hour. Oh, I don't want to. <laughs> just so stumbling at the speed of light. Oh God! Oh God! <laughs> I don't have a I don't have a way to articulate how I imagine they move. I feel like they I imagine they move like like one of those like kind of a marionette puppet. I just imagine no matter what speed it's moving, it looks like claymation. <laughs> um here's the thing about sloths and i say this to someone who likes sloths very much their cuteness is entirely dependent on the fact that they move that slow oh yeah it's totally that they're lazy if those animals moved quickly if those animals could go zero to 60 like a cheetah do you think anyone (laughs) my god would be (laughs) just imagine a sloth launching itself (laughs) off a tree branch at you if those things dropped from the sky on you, all fangs and claws, like, ready to wreak, Those claws are terrifying. Yes. They're, basically, they just have, like, um, oh my god, what's it called? Like, a scythe. Mm-hmm. They just have, like, a scythe on their... Freaking it's, hands! It's pretty terrifying. Um, yeah, they um they made a really good branding choice a long time ago and they stuck with it. I don't know who did their campaign, but um it was good work. And can we get them on the Beaver Eaters case? Can we? Yeah, right. <laughs> Whoever did all that work for sloths a few years back, I wanna yeah I wanna find them and pass their number along to the Yukon Beaver. So the, what is possibly a ground sloth? Uh, I still can't get I can't stop thinking about what if it's just a beaver? What <laughs> if it's just a real big beaver? What if there's just one ageless giant beaver that's been tormenting the beaver population of the Yukon for god only knows how long like cuz they bullied him when he was a kid <laughs> that was okay <laughs> like, hey, you don't have buck teeth <laughs> and now it's become a like a dark god of their myth and legend <laughs> Oh my god Beaver gosh. parents telling their beaver children that they'd better finish their pile of wood before they go to sleep, because otherwise the beaver eater's <laughs> gonna come get them. It's just the boogeyman of beavers. Yes, correct. Oh my gosh, I love that. Side note, I think it's really delightful on a certain level that no matter what culture, no matter what species, apparently, parents have a made-up <laughs> scary thing to <laughs> To keep their kids, to horrify in love. their children into obedience. <laughs> oh my God! I do have to say, it's not a deliberate scare one, just as much as it is a fictional scapegoat thing. But I have to tell you because it makes me laugh so hard. A friend of mine uh, who I babysit her daughter uh, often. Apparently, she told me she's like, "This is a trick you can use if you're if she keeps asking why the way that little kids do when something is like canceled or can't happen, and at a certain point you just don't have an answer for them." Mm-hmm. So, for example, she'd be like, "Oh well, we can't go to uh, we can't go to Disneyland today," and she'll be like, "Why?" And she goes. Uh, uh, such and such and the eventual the final answer is because the man closed it <laughs> the man there's just the a man. man closed it <laughs> like or like it's just the if you haven't if you don't have an explanation of story, it's just like it's because of the man i i honestly do love that <laughs> and then if you get she told me, and she's gonna maybe hear this episode and be like, don't tell people my parenting secrets. But listen, she was like, if she won't go to bed, tell her you're gonna call the man and tell him that she won't go to bed. Oh my god. <laughs> I have not yet had to do that. But there's no that description. Is powerful, though I do love it. And there's nothing like he's gonna get you or anything, it's just I'm gonna tell the man. <laughs> That's a really strong choice, and I I'm do sorry. I'm, it. Like, I'm like coming unglued right now. This is too much. Um, anyway, Edison, my... If you don't pull it together, I'm going to tell the man to cancel our podcast. Alex, no. <laughs> Wait, no. I'll be good. I'll be good. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you have anything else to tell our, our dear listeners today? Honestly, just, um, I know stuff is really scary right now and it's really intense right now and there's just a lot happening. And I just wanted to say as someone who struggles a lot with, uh, anxiety surrounding specifically stuff like this, uh, that the best solution to that is the best balm for really bad anxiety and catastrophizing is information. And I don't mean like what you're finding on your Twitter feed or your Facebook feed. I mean, like go to the CDC website. I mean, like go to like reliable Mm. sources, read up on what you need to know. And then just follow what you need to do to stay safe and keep the, those around you safe. And there's not, there's no need to freak out or do extra things. Panic only makes things worse for people. So it just, this is the advice I would want to hear myself. So just like find, like wash your hands. If you're sick, stay inside, do what you need to do, and then find ways to make this time pass in a way that is enjoyable. Find a project to work on, uh, maybe break out a video game you haven't played in a long time. Just do what you can. Yeah, totally. And I've been sharing, and I'll continue to on my Twitter, resources for people who are struggling with reduced work hours or who um, don't have access to uh, enough food or supplies, there are a lot of resources out there right now. Uh, As my mom always reminds me that Mr. Rogers once said, uh, look to the helpers. So yeah, I think something that's really difficult to internalize in a time like this and also really important to is something that feels kind of scary, but I think is actually a little bit relieving. You know, there are so many like pieces of media about pandemics or so many like sci-fi stories Mm -hmm. about horrifying end time scenarios and I think it's really important to remember that the thing that we're living through right now doesn't have a protagonist no there is not one person whose job it is to trek across the country on foot to a specific destination and put an end to everything like that's not the scope of this thing Mm -hmm. what we have is we have the small actions that we can take every day for the foreseeable future, that cumulatively will make the differences that we need to pull through this. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to undertake some life-altering, epic, insurmountable quest, and nobody around you is going to either. That's not how this is going to work. There's not some supernatural evil that needs overthrown. This is just a very real situation that is overwhelming, that is frightening, but that is not on any one person's shoulders to solve. Mm -hmm. We're in it together yeah yeah feels weird to end on a more on a such a sincere note after such a ridiculous episode but i i feel i i feel like it needs needs to we've done it before and we'll do it again we've done it before and we will do it again until someone stops us please don't stop us we're trying to have fun as always we hope we can keep you around and stay safe out there Pretty, witty, and gay.